0: We're starting a a new series for the next five weeks in anticipation of the week of prayer that the Churches of God in the North West England District will have, which commences on Sunday the 8th of October. It's a series on prayer, and today's topic is prayer, a people at war. That's not the people of God themselves warring with each other because we're told not to do that. Uh, But we're going to consider what the conflict is that we are called to and participate in. Over the coming weeks, just so you know what's coming, we're going to be thinking about a praising people, a confessing people, an expectant people, and an interceding people. Aspects of a prayer life of individuals and a people together in God's service making themselves a people who are absolutely dependent on the great God of heaven. Let's take our reading for today from Ephesians 6. So we think about prayer under the aspect of a people at war. This is one of the clearest passages in all of Scripture that uses the imagery of us as individuals and together as God's people Being engaged in a conflict, which is a conflict that is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. So Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll start our reading from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We're soldiers. That's what we're called to. When we have in our experience, come to realize by God's grace that he has provided the Savior for us in Jesus Christ, the one who died, that we might be brought out of the slavery of sin and from under the wrath of God. We're brought into the joy of eternal forgiveness and also the promise of eternal life. To use Jesus' words as he prayed in John 17, he says, We've been taken out of the world. He prayed to his Father, those that you have given me, out of the world. We've been taken out of the world system. But Jesus also prayed that they, these ones would be left in the world for the purpose of being sent into the world, just as he was sent by the Father. So at the moment of salvation, when we know the grace of God that transforms us and shapes us for eternity. We're not brought into something that is a physical um, rest and a life of comfort. That's not what we're called to. We're brought into that eternally, but we remain here as sent ones on behalf of Jesus to be engaged in a conflict. And it's here in Scripture. We don't be those people who are uh, saved by grace and then sort of kick back and and do nothing and enjoy all the luxuries of life that's not what we're called to as Christians the the lord said to his disciples the night before the cross in john 16 verse 33 in this world you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world so he knew that we would have struggle and what we've read in ephesians 6 brings us into an understanding of what that struggle is that it's not against flesh and blood Although that is our present reality and we do have those struggles. But the greater thing we're brought to is this spiritual reality. That there's a conflict that's happening in the unseen spiritual realm. In the heavenly places as it's described. And we're called to be part of that. That's what it means to be born again. That we're brought into an awareness that there's something greater that is occurring beyond just what we can see and feel Here. We're in a battle of immense proportions, Ephesians 6 would point us to that, but all the while we're guaranteed victory. Jesus is the great victor over sin and death. And the end point of that is yet to come, and we will see it in all of its completeness, but He's already achieved it. But for now, He leaves us as sent ones, that we might engage in a battle uh, that others would be saved. And that we would become more like Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the victory is secured. But this um, language of being a soldier isn't limited to Ephesians 6. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2. And he says to young Timothy. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. As those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ the savior, we have been enlisted as soldiers. And the commanding officer is the all-knowing God. If anybody is Drafted or volunteers as a soldier in this world, in this realm they do not have the insight that maybe the commanding officers above have and there must be absolute obedience and allegiance to the commanding officer who has a grander understanding of the scheme that is being worked out beyond their immediate place and that's the same with us we have a commander who knows all things and we where we are can't see all that, but God does. The one who has enlisted us brings us into it. Paul in Philippians 2 verse 25 referred to Epaphroditus as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. And Paul speaks this language of being a soldier enlisted to be engaged in a, in a conflict. And in Philemon 2, he refers to Archippus there also as a fellow soldier. So this is not something we're importing to scripture. It's something we're learning from scripture. Why? Why is this important? I believe that to see that we're part of a conflict and called to it by God, then with a proper understanding of that and what is at stake for the lives of people who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and for the lives of those who are, that they may be preserved in their service for the glory of God. When we understand we've been brought to that, then it makes prayer absolutely, vitally important. And we realise that's why I must pray. And that individually, and that together as God's people. With unquestioning obedience to the one who has enlisted us, with an allegiance that means that we would be prepared to lay down our lives. No soldier enters the army. Well, maybe these days in some places they do thinking that um, there's no no chance that they will lose their lives. There will be people who will be prepared to lay down their lives for their country and their countrymen. And we've seen the sacrifices all down the history of those who have stepped forward into that. You become a soldier. You know that your life could be taken in the course of you honouring the commanding officer. I should say this that Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him are you a king and he said you said so and Pilate's response so you are a king then and he says my kingdom is not of this world my kingdom is not from this world if it was my followers would take up arms to fight Jesus was showing the, the nations of this world that continually are at war that there was something greater that's For those who would trust Jesus, they would come into the kingdom that is not of this world, that rises above the petty conflicts, and I'm careful with that word, but the conflicts that uh, are part of sinful humanity. And for that reason, we will not pick up arms as Christians today. If you want to call us pacifists, you call us pacifists. We're for peace, because we know the Prince of Peace. And we will not take up arms... Uh, for allegiance to the governments of this nation because the great one who has enlisted us is the sovereign lord and so we will go where he goes and we will engage in the battle that he calls us to which paul gives us here in ephesians 6 In in the letter to the church of god in ephesus that paul had written the early chapters he goes through the glories of God's eternal purposes of grace. That he would bring people to himself. That they would be gathered together in service for him. People who could do nothing of themselves to make themselves right with God. But that everything would come by God's grace through faith in Jesus the saviour that's provided. He goes through that. And then he brings the practicality of that to the church of God in Ephesus. That then should shape how you live together. And then where we've got to in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, knowing what God has done and brought you into and how you should live. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers The authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the reality. For each of us as believers in the Lord Jesus. And serving together in churches of God. Honouring the one who has called us into this service. We're brought into an understanding of the reality of this spiritual realm. And the powers that operate in them. So Paul is effectively saying God has done all this. You enjoy it because you receive it. It's a gift of his grace. And you live this way. But living this way is not straightforward. So finally, you take what God gives. And you put it on every day. And you live because you're part now of an understanding. That there is a, a whole conflict that is still happening under the sovereign purposes of God. That is yet going to be worked out. So you put on this whole armor of God. Now we're, our subject today is not the whole armor of God. But it's there. But notice that he said the schemes of the devil. In Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes the state of people who do not know God. Through Jesus Christ. And he says there that they follow the course of this world. The world system is set against the things of God. He also says that they're under the power of the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil, Satan, the one who is the adversary of God. He is set against God and therefore is the opponent of all those on earth. He has sway over them. people who are slaves to sin, but he's not for them in any way. It's evil. And uh, Paul in Ephesians 2 also talks about that at one stage we were indulging the passions of the flesh, our our own nature, and its desires to do things contrary to God. So we see in Ephesians chapter 2 that set against us, then as those have been brought out of it, is the world system and all of its values. The adversary who has under God's sovereign control authority over that we have to accept that and also that sin within us that will still respond that we would indulge the passions of the flesh which would take us away from purity in our lives before God that's why we're at war and we're in this conflict you know these, these forces that operate in the heavenly places have been put there by God Back in Ephesians 1 verse 21, um, Paul there says that Jesus is raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And Paul picks that up again here in Ephesians 6. The rule and the authority and the power and the dominion. It's a reference to angelic beings who have been granted authority in the realm that is unseen. But yet, it's so real because it's the realm of God. We're going to come and think a little bit more of this. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He set against the things of God. He set against the gospel coming to people so they would see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the battle that we're called to. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Paul says twice and he concludes it with praying verse 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints and for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel he says take up this armour and Paul might well have been looking at as he had done so many times at a Roman guard with all of the armour and the various aspects of it And he takes that as guided by the Spirit to draw out lessons about what God provides for us as believers. That we would take up and put on and use, that we might be strong in the Lord. That we might live out what he says in chapter 5 and chapter 4 in light of the fact of all that God has done in chapters 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. Take it up and at all times pray in the Spirit. God takes residence in us at the moment of our salvation. Ephesians 1 tells us that. That the Spirit is given as the guarantee of the victory that is to come. God himself, in the person of his Spirit, indwells our bodies. And so that's why Paul says we can understand then that we're part of a, of a battle through prayer. That touches something that is unseen, but yet is raging over the affairs of this world. And Paul says, because of that and the indwelling of the Spirit, then you pray at all times. It's in that context. It comes at the end. It's, it's like that which is to wrap all around. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, for all the saints. I'm not going to go into the detail of that, because that's likely going to come out in uh, subsequent talks. But just notice there, with prayer and supplication for all the saints. Who are the saints? Saints are those that are holy ones. We're unholy as sinners, but God in His grace comes and the holiness of his Son he offers himself at the cross for we who are unrighteous and unholy. and the holiness of the perfect Son of God stands for those who will have faith in his sacrifice forever. The, the, so Paul's prayer is and his encouragement for prayer is, That we pray at all times for all the saints. That's for those of us who are born again. That's what Paul's encouragement to as he understands this cosmic conflict that is raging. Where the adversary is set against us. Set against the things of God, therefore set against us who are of God. Children of God. The world system that would bombard us and seek to drag us down on our own sin within ourselves that still has its place and would still take us away from the things of God. Pray at all times in the spirit for all the saints. We're in this conflict so we pray for one another. And for me, he says, you pray for me. That words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We pray for the saints that they would be preserved for the glory of God. And for people like Paul, who would then, through the preservation that they would know, would declare the mystery of the gospel, the good news, to people who need to hear it. Who are under the control of the adversary. That's all of us. All the saints have a responsibility to declare the glories Of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. So we all need this prayer. Paul was one of those particular ones, the apostles. Those sent with particular purpose to preach and to reason and to work through the scriptures with people. Not all of us can do that in that way. But all of us are to testify to the reality that we have one who is our commanding officer. The one who sits on the throne of heaven. And we go his way. And that's why we live differently in this world. So we need prayer. For each other in this matter. Because we're part of something that happens. We're brought into the understanding of. What is happening in the heavenly places. The language of the English standard version that I use there. The cosmic powers over this present darkness. Do You notice it. It's a darkness. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. They're in darkness. And God calls those. For whom his light has shone in. In the person of Jesus Christ. He said I am the light of the world. Those who know it. Are to stand as soldiers of the light. And to pray. That we would come in. To the victory. With him. He sees it all. He sees the end. But we here and now have our struggles. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I want you to turn with me to Daniel 10. Which gives us, alongside this, an eye-opener to what is happening in the heavenly realms when the people of God pray as they're encouraged by Paul. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's an old man at this point. He's been a faithful government official in the kingdom of Babylon he's a Jewish man most likely taken captive when Babylon went in and uh, sacked Jerusalem and took away the people he might have even have been taken away in the, the first wave of that and he's grown up in a world system set against the things of God but he has been faithful to God in it all and there comes a situation where he He has been reading the word of God, and as a consequence of reading the word of God, he realizes that God has purposes for Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. Now, we're there. God has purposes for his people that are yet to be fulfilled, and he has a burden. He has a response to that. Notice this is important. By being in God's word, then this burden, if we can put it that way, uh, forms in his spirit, in his mind, in his heart. And look at chapter 10, verse 2 with me. As a very brief summary to get us to this reading. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. If you look at the end of verse um, 9, I fell on my face, in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. That was his response to this angelic messenger that had come. Verse 10, And behold, <clears throat> a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Down to verse 19. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak. For you have strengthened me then he said do you know why i have come to you but now i will return to fight against the prince of persia and when i go out behold the prince of grace will come but i will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth there is none who contends by my side against these except michael your prince you're there as a plural which gives the impression or the indication that michael the archangel is one who has allotted the responsibility of the people, of the Jews. This could well have been Gabriel that has been sent as a messenger because Gabriel is the one who is sent with the messengers, as the messenger, with the message of God to to both Mary and Joseph. And Gabriel, he's sent with the message to Zechariah too. He's a messenger to the people of Israel. And he says, Michael is the one who stands with me on behalf of of your people, your prince. We're we're brought into something here that is absolutely astounding. Let's work through it a little bit logically, if we can. Notice that Daniel says, "I was, I humbled myself, and I." He was in an attitude of prayer for twenty-one days, so three weeks. And just to clarify, it says a full three weeks, and a full three weeks is twenty-one days. And on the twenty-fourth day of the month, that just says to us that he's still in in the process of this. Prayerful response to what he's understood about God saying things will still happen for Israel. God, what is it? He's humbled himself, he's been fasting, he's mourning before God, longing to know what is yet to come. Here's a man a captive in a foreign land, and on the 21st day of the month, the answer from God arrives in the form of a man. It's an angel, and his description is just astounding. Here's a being. Of immense power. And he comes, and Daniel's response is to fall down, and he's told, You get up and you listen, because I've come with the answer for what you've been searching for. And then you get into chapter 11 and chapter 12, and um, Daniel is given an insight into what is yet to come. Notice in verse 11 that the messenger says, I have been sent to you. God has responded to Daniel who set himself to respond to that which he'd seen in God's word God what does this mean what is in store for the future he says I've been sent to you when did he say he'd been sent the first day you started praying the heavenly messenger had been sent as soon as Daniel responded to God's word and began praying But Daniel did not know that. And Daniel continued in his prayers for 21 days. Because he yet had not received the answer, but the message had been sent. But on the way, the messenger coming through, if I can put it this way, the heavenly realms, the heavenly places, the the realms that are referred to in Ephesians chapter 6, there has been this, this conflict that's been going on between the angelic beings. And he's been held up by the prince of Persia just say this. I think this gives us an indication that there are under God's sovereign control there are angelic beings that are granted responsibility to kingdoms or territories. Some of those that are set against the things of God and those that are for God. It's the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, the great nations that at those times were set against the people of God. There's this we're, we're given an insight into what is happening. And he says, and I, I was there, and I needed Michael to come. And to come through. And here he is on day 21. What do we take out of it? We take out of it that if there's a burden, and we don't get the answer to that in prayer, we keep praying until the answer comes. Because God will, may well have sent the answer, but it will take time for it to arrive. I think we can take that out of that, can we not? But it's just this insight into um, the Prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. Daniel, I know you've been praying 21 days. I'm here now. Your persistence has paid off, if I can put it in that way. Just a little aside, this matter of angelic beings, in a sense, having um, being assigned territories or kingdoms if you look back at Deuteronomy 32 and 8 just try and lodge that one in your mind the best translation of that says that when the most high gave the nations their inheritance so God is in control of all the nations when he divided mankind he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God your version may say the sons of Israel it doesn't make sense the sons of God And if you do a search on the sons of God in the Old Testament, there is an indication that it's a reference to angelic beings. I just leave that one with you to do a little study on yourselves. Here is an indication that in this spiritual realm into which we're now brought in an understanding that this is where the conflict happens, our prayers make a difference to what is happening across the world and the kingdoms of the world. That's what we're brought into. Notice at the end of Daniel 10, Um, in verses 20 20 and 21 this messenger says I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and when I go out the prince of Greece will come there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael your prince it's not singular your it's plural your we're assigned for the people of Israel by God who is sovereign the great commander but your prayers Daniel Make all the difference. There's the encouragement to pray when we're part of this conflict. That for me has been an eye-opener in the last couple of years. Sit that alongside Ephesians 6 and you're brought into an understanding, I believe, of what it is that we're part of. The Lord in Luke 18, as Luke records it, he says that Jesus told them, the disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he went on to speak a parable which we don't have time to get into today. The Lord gave them something that they could understand so that they would always pray and not lose heart. We get that from Daniel, don't we? Here was a man whose burden caused him to keep praying and praying and praying. But he then came into an understanding of the message of been sent. But because of what happens in the spiritual heavenly realms, it took the 21 days for it to come and he realised that his persistence had paid off. He was ready when that answer came. And back to Ephesians 6. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication for all the saints and for those who would speak the mystery of the gospel. We're in a conflict and I think realising the threat that faces us and the people around us from the adversary and from the sinful world system and from the sin of ourselves that can drag us as saints down and away from God's service and also will keep the unbeliever in darkness, then we pray to the one who sees it all, our commanding officer, the one who has enlisted us, that his will be done and we don't let go until we see it worked out. And we understand his purposes. So that's our beginning point in our little series of, uh, in prayer. Seeing what it is we're part of, I believe then means that we understand why we pray. Let's give God our thanks.